1: Head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Snag
2: a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position
4: hi hello there and welcome to let's talk about myths baby i am your host Liv, who is slowly becoming a regular human once more i think i think that tuesday's episode will be possible because i think so far my brain works again but today I am here with another wonderful conversation episode that I recorded a while back. You can tell because I mentioned Seneca's Medea, so that's how long ago we recorded this, but I am so excited to finally be sharing it with you. I spoke with the author, Sophia Kuidu-Giles, who has not only written a new book featuring none other than Circe and a fascinatingly fictionalized Scylla, but who is also herself Greek. Sophia will not be the last Greek person I talk to about writing Greek myth retellings. It's been an effort of mine whenever possible to, to get Greek people on the show who are writing this stuff because I think that we need more of them bringing in their heritage to this saturated genre and i'm so excited to see more of them. I also just spoke with somebody yesterday whose episode will be coming out in a little bit. Um so we're just really we're piling that up and i it is such a thrill. But Sophia was just so absolutely lovely to to speak to. We just talked about about her book absolutely but also just about the mythology surrounding the Odyssey and Circe and the Greek landscape and and writing these kinds of stories and Greece itself. was Just an absolutely lovely conversation. So I am just generally so excited to share it all with you. Plus, I have to tell you that a highlight is the lovely Sophia just proclaiming that Zeus is a sex maniac. So you do have that to look forward to. It was a joy. Conversations, giving Cersei the agency she deserves. An Unexpected Ally with Sophia Kuidu-Giles. You've written um, this novel, but I know you have a background, you know, in... Greek everything, and you yourself are Greek, so why don't you tell me first a little bit about yourself and, you know, what you do as a writer, everything like that?
5: Yeah, well, you know, I had a career in social services, but once I retired, that was the opportunity to fall back into what I used to love to do, Uh, and we are talking back grade school and high school and those years, you know, But uh, what happened is I came to the United States right after high school and had to cope with adjusting, you know, studying, getting the vocabulary, getting into a profession, finishing a career before I could really relax and fall back into reading and writing. That is the story of an immigrant, really, uh, <laughs> yeah. that falls in love back to my own heritage. <laughs> that that was the unique thing and the pleasure I get out of writing and dealing with myths.
4: Yeah, that's so wonderful. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing in my position because I don't, you know, myth. like you said, mythology is a huge genre right now. And there are so many retellings coming out all the time. But it's very rare that those retellings are actually written by someone with Greek heritage, you know, let alone an immigrant from Greece. And so it's so exciting to have that. There's a, a few more now, though. You're the first of what I think will be a few Greek authors on my show talking about their retellings, which is very exciting. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So, so you just kind of fell back into mythology. So, you know, I, your book, An Unexpected Ally, it's about Circe, right? And Scylla. Um, but I would yes. love to hear like what what did you read that then made you go, oh, I want to write this novel about these two.
5: Well, you know, I was reading Homer, and it was Homer that, you know, introduces the idea of skila. We say skila in Greek, not Sila. Oh, <laughs> I, I say
4: Skyla. No, yeah. Oh, I
5: good. know
4: where the I mean I'm not great at Greek, I will say, but I definitely know there's no silent K or C in there. <laughs>
5: You've got it. Yes, (laughs) yes. So, when I was reading that, I thought I could do a story that starts at the end of this relationship with Odysseus. And that's what got me uh, inspired, if you will, you know, endings, endings of relationships and beginnings of relationships. And it ended up being sort of the theme of the book in some ways. So then I thought, well, what was it about this relationship that ended? Because she's a powerful witch sorceress. She could have kept him (laughs) there, you know, if she wanted to a little more potion, some other magic and so forth. And I thought, you know, in our lives as adults, we experience endings of all sorts. And that is a thing that I can elaborate by starting my story there. So that was the beginning.
4: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the Odyssey. It's my favorite, um, you know, ancient Greek epic, let alone probably my favorite ancient Greek text, period, though I do love Euripides, Um, but the, you know. (laughs) The Odyssey is so amazing, and you're right about Circe. It's so interesting, and I should say, I'm sorry, I don't say Kierke. I probably should, but everyone knows her as Circe in English. But I do know that in Greek, it's Kierke. <laughs> um, yeah. So you you feel free to pronounce it however you you know you want. But, and I like to tell my listeners that it is Kierke, but it just, you know, anyway. <laughs> the I, It's interesting, like you say, she could have kept him there because it's such a good an example that Calypso kept him when she wanted to, and Cersei didn't. And that's really an interesting thing about their story, specifically in comparison to Calypso.
5: So, you know, that is the cool thing about working with myths. Is we can give it a complexity that was not presented or intended. I mean, Homer was not writing about women heroines. He was writing about war, about heroes, about deeds, and that sort of thing. So she did play a role in his story, but it was a secondary role. So I was thinking, well, this is a woman that I want. To have a lot more agency i wanted her to realize that odysseus is already traveling back home his heart is not hers anymore so the heck with him <gasps> that's that's how the story starts you know all right let's see him off you know and do a number of things as a farewell sort of gestures and after that I'm on to the next thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, I'm not going to give you a lot of hints no, about...
4: <laughs> no we don't want to spoil it but I am so interested in how you wanted to handle Scylla as a character because of course in the Odyssey we really just hear about her as this you know monster who's going to cause all this trouble for Odysseus and his ship but then we have this background for her which you know as far as I know um is found almost only in Ovid's Metamorphoses I think right this idea that she you know was kind of cursed or she you know started out as a nymph or a human I'm gonna forget which but but that she was transformed into the monster that she became. So how did you want to cu- handle that? And, you know, what, what kind of sources were you reading? Did you read a lot of Ovid? Any of that?
5: <laughs> uh, yeah, I read Ovid and I use Ovid again in my next book. But here I took a lot of liberties. I did not stick to the original, you know, authors and sources. I wanted her to be a young, innocent girl. And I decided she was going to live on this Greek island that was uh, known for all the temples. It was the birthplace of Apollo. And she was a young woman whose mother had passed on and she was just living her life. But she meets Circe. And things happened there. So we have a relationship that establishes between the two women, a friendly kind of relationship. So Circe now takes an interest in following what happens to this young girl as the story goes on. And I'm going to go dot, dot, dot again. (laughs) (laughs) So you see the setting of the meeting is very different. It's, It's an innocent, youthful, Uh, young lady that happens to come across a goddess a powerful goddess yeah
4: Yeah. that's very exciting I mean my show (laughs) is really as much as possible it's about talking about women in Greek myth because they didn't get enough attention (laughs) back in the day (laughs)
5: yes
4: (laughs) yeah so you know I I just love all of all of the women characters of greek myth but um Cersei is is one of my favorites by far uh but you know you mentioned this island so she's on delos right how did you want yes. to write delos like i've been there a couple of times it's amazing um but i can only imagine what it would have looked like in the ancient world
5: this was sheer imagination on my part I have not traveled to dealers, mm-hmm. although I go back to Greece, but it is a place I'm going to go to one way or another. <laughs> so I investigated it really through photography, through words from friends that had gone and visited. And uh, I created a, a map, you know, in my mind where I could see the port. I could see that people would climb up to the propylia and then move into the temples. I could see the temple of Apollo. You know, I could see the priests. I could see the uh, lineup of merchants that were selling goods for the temples, for the sacrifices. So that that was just part of the pleasure of putting things together, you know and navigating my people my protagonist and all the rest of them up and down the island
4: yeah (laughs) yeah I that's wonderful I mean Delos is an amazing island but yeah imagining it in the ancient world there's just so much there because it was so sacred so it's really interesting that you wanted to use an island that is so devoted to the gods but have it be just like a place that a young woman is growing up like did you want to kind of use that as a, re- like, I don't even know what I want to ask, but, you know, w- how did you want her life to to be involved with all of the, you know, the divine nature of Delos, the way that it's so much more connected to the gods than any other island?
5: Yeah, it was a girl that lived in a village. She was not in the capital, so to speak, but the lineage is what leads us to the temples she had a relative she had uh that kind of a connection mm-hmm. and at the end of the story you will see that she has a future in the temples so what a better island than you know dealers yeah
4: yeah oh it's that's wonderful it's i I go to Greece probably too often for my finances, but it's just the most amazing place. And and Delos is certainly high up there. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I personally was born in Thessaloniki. I don't know if you've been up there.
4: I haven't yet, unfortunately. It's on my list.
5: Yes. Yeah, you should. Yeah. There's a lot of atmosphere, more, you know, the Roman and the Byzantine uh, evidence in that city but definitely a sense of history Mm -hmm. Uh, the location is prime so i'm proud to be from salonica but i love traveling to the islands when i can
4: (laughs) yes i mean that's a problem that's why i haven't gone up north very much because every time i go i just want to go back to the islands naxos is is my favorite it's just so beautiful Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) so when it comes to cersei she's such an interesting character because you know she is this witch in the odyssey but we don't we don't really get like a ton of information about how she uses her witchcraft obviously she transforms odysseus's men into pigs and then back again and you know but but we don't get like main you know kind of descriptions of her magic how how did you like did you want to make her super magical is she like a big witch goddess in your book or is she more of that goddess side of her she just is so complex you could do so many things
5: yeah no I gave her a lot of powers in this Good, (laughs) Uh, there was even shape-shifting you know Uh, so there is a little bit of the magic and the exaggerated power But I think I try to keep her very human in spirit in the way she connects and cares and investigates things. And, you know, she pays attention to what the 12 Olympians are doing, but they are sort of uh, up on the clouds there and she doesn't always agree with them. (laughs) She has agency. She really has agency. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, good. I, if I, I would think, you know, Cersei would not normally agree with the Olympians. They're usually making poor decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, did you include other gods in the story or did you kind of want to keep the rest of them separate?
5: No, no. They get, they mingle, they cause trouble, they have opinions. Yes, definitely. Good. Definitely.
4: That's one thing that I often find I think is for me is lacking in in a lot of the retellings lately is they they really focus on that more human aspect which is perfect and interesting, you know, and but I I love what my what I love about Greek mythology over other mythologies that I've encountered is the way that the gods are really human in really interesting ways and the way they like, you know, screw things up and the way they make all these mistakes and they make everything kind of messy. It's so much more interesting than than when a god is just kind of like off in the ether, you know, sort of unseen. Like, I'd much rather have what it sounds like you're doing, which is like having them involved. Because in the myths themselves, they're so involved. Yes,
5: yes. Well, the thing, the advantage of writing, you know, and using mythology is that you get a fundamental test of that character. You know, Zeus is known for his thunderbolts, right? Uh, What Aphrodite for her erotic uh, prowess, you know, Aris for being out for war and trouble, you know. So you have a beginning place, but after that, you can go to town and create all sorts of things, you know.
6: at purdueglobal.edu.
5: And I think you're going to like my second book, which is not published yet. It's getting out in 25. where the gods and their point of view becomes very important that's very exciting
4: yeah can you say what that is what the book is about do you have have specific characters you're talking
5: about Uh, yes yes i have a prime character there too and that happens to be Circe's mother there is a linkage from one book to the next yes and you know uh again Percy is not a character that we know a lot about. That was permission for me to create a mother-daughter thing.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her mother is, you know, I she's barely ever talked about in any sources. That's, That's very funny. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have a real love for that family uh, because I also find Medea to be one of the most interesting Of all Greek mythological women for so many
5: reasons. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
4: I'm actually I'm I'm currently reading, I rarely ever look into Roman literature because I just don't care about Rome all that much. Um, but I'm currently reading Seneca's Medea, which Mm. is kind of selling me on maybe the Romans weren't all bad. (laughs) (laughs) So um I just love to hear more about kind of how how you went about you know writing these characters and this story like are there you know moments from myth that you wanted to keep in or did you want to kind of mostly make it your own story using these mythological characters
5: it's a hard one to answer you know Mm -hmm. my process of writing is messy me too (laughs) (laughs) it's not like I start with chapter one and know exactly what's going to happen you know So it's a hard one to answer. I do go back and read the myth again so that I can maintain, you know, some association, some semblance of sticking to the myth, but I'm not religious about it. I care more about developing interesting relationships and dynamics in the story. In, in my career, I worked in psychology and social services and that sort of thing. And I just think for a contemporary reader to be interested in this, it has to resonate. So uh, that's my permission to go wild.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, too, you picked characters that are perfect for that. Because like you said, I mean, Circe really only appears in the Odyssey in terms of Greek sources Mm -hmm. and, and Scylla as, you know, as a non monstrous form doesn't really appear in Greek sources at all. And so you have, yeah, you have so much permission to kind of, to do what you want with it. And it just, yeah, it makes it much more interesting. I mean, it's, I also love the characters where, you know, you get this little piece of them And then you can kind of expand and and make them into your own without, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, making changes to a myth that does have a more substantial character and history than someone like Cersei, but it is so much more Mm -hmm. interesting to have this very open-ended kind of character like she is.
5: Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, you know, myths, they have versions, to me, mm-hmm. seeing all the variations gives me permission to create my own. <laughs> I may be presumptuous, but that's what I do.
4: I think that's right. I mean, that's the thing. It That's what makes them so interesting, too, is all the versions. Um, it's something that I talk about a lot is, you know, the way that there is no right or wrong version. There's only, you know, this one came at this time and this one came at that time. and. And it's much more interesting to look at them, you know, for what they are in their individual forms and maybe look at why these things changed, you know, when they did like Ovid Circe is really interesting. You can't, you know, comfortably say that it's a, that she's a particularly Greek character because he makes yeah. all of these changes. But of course, he's working off of the Greek. He's working off of the Circe and Homer, and he's doing basically what you did, you know, but yeah. he's Ovid. And so, so often, I think people come at it and they... They think because Ovid's is really detailed that it must be, you know, the right or wrong version. Yeah. And of course, no, you know, and it's just, it's another version and it's interesting in itself, but it, you know, it's just kind of another take on the myths.
5: Yeah. yeah and it probably reflects the issues of the time, you know, what was puzzling Ovid at the time he was writing it. He, he, he did it like we do. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> well, and I often wonder too, you know, and I, I I wonder if this is something you think about is I wonder about all the things we don't have, you know, all the sources that don't survive and what they might have said. I think about mm-hmm. that a lot when it comes to Ovid because he makes all these, you know, he he puts all these storylines into metamorphoses that seem like they could be complete departures from the myths that we have. But it's very possible that a lot of the things that he writes are based in other sources that we don't have access to today and that mm-hmm. is just so much more interesting to
5: think about <laughs> how did he get from wherever to his time yeah exactly yeah. did
4: he make it up or did he read something that we'll never know existed that's so much more interesting
5: <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah.
4: Did you consult a lot of sources beyond Homer and Ovid for this? I'm just curious kind of what you read and if you loved any of them, you know, even if they didn't make it into the book.
5: (laughs) Yeah, for my second book, uh, I read, I was surprised to find that Xenophon had a lot of information about horses, Hmm. how you choose a horse, how you train a horse, what do you do with a horse? And anyway, I used a lot of that in my second book. it's it's more uh, current in my mind. so yeah. I'm sorry, I'm skipping to examples that don't relate to Circe. but, uh, yeah, I read Apollonius Ovid. Uh, what else did I read the The tragedies, you know mm. uh, I there's so much rich stuff. I wish. I wish when I had <laughs> come to the point of choosing what to study, I would have studied the classics. But it's something I'm rediscovering now. And it's sweet. It's sweet. Mind you, to start writing, I took classes, Live right? And all my assignments I had to do in English, right? mm mm-hmm. So I have collected a bunch of English. I don't work with original texts, which is a shame, but I'm kind of cut off from the ability to study and learn ancient Greek again and all that.
4: No, I, yeah, I was going to ask that as well, actually, what, you know, what language you're you're often reading these sources in, because, I mean, it's something I face. I, I'm, just very canadian um and so i only know english Though so i'm trying to learn modern greek very badly um but but yeah I, i'm I the know. same yeah i love it uh but i need to get better at it <laughs> but the uh you know coming at them in translation is so interesting and what i've found because i've read you know I, I try to read them in multiple translations so that I get, you know, a little bit more out of the story, because I also never got the chance to learn ancient Greek. Um, And so, you know, there are so many ways, though, that you can, you know, kind of work around something like that. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fine in itself to read the English, and then you can just kind of play around with what you're reading, or, you know, which translations you're reading. So which immediately makes me want to ask, do you have a favorite translation of Homer or the one that you've been using? Vegan. oh yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. nice and yeah. classic
5: and you know because i quote a little bit i had to go back to butler Me too. <laughs> because i don't have to get permission essentially
4: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i actually i read I read the entire Odyssey translated by Butler for the podcast for that exact same reason, because I could, oh. because there's no copyright and I wanted to.
5: <laughs> exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's that's always interesting is, you know, navigating those things as well. I, I do that all the time on my show. You know, I'll quote little bits here and there on a podcast because you're allowed on on podcasts in a way that you're not in books. It's odd. Um, but huh. But then whenever I want to quote something much longer, I mm. I find a public domain translation and it's very old, but it's worth it because you still can quote a lot. And <laughs> it's
5: nice. That's it. And you also, you know, in comparing different ones, you see how much interpretation is part of translation. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I need to tell you, Circe is going to show up in Greek. I've translated it. Mm. I've just not chased anybody over there, (laughs) a publisher, in other words, but I am fluent in modern Greek. Yeah. It's the ancient Greek that is like Chaucer here or whatever.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good example comparing it to Chaucer or even like Old English, you know? Mm -hmm. Though I I know Mm -hmm. I mean ancient Greek at least shares some words with modern Greek, but then some are so different that you just kind of get lost entirely <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm just because i don't know any of them i just am obsessed with what little i do know and the etymology between them and then when i can find that link to english too and i'm i annoy my friends and family with it uh quite often but it's very fun
5: <laughs> <laughs> well my son and grandkids are trying to learn greek so we fall to etymology frequently Because if you know the basic root and the 20-some prepositions, you already have increased your vocabulary, you know?
4: Absolutely. I mean, and it's so interesting the way they do, you know, the certain words in modern Greek that are the same or similar in ancient. And then you can see where the English, often it's, you know, scientific words in English and you can see where, where they got that root from. Or, you know, I was with my friend the other day and i was explaining to her she didn't ask i don't know if she likes it but i do it anyway but i was explaining to her what the modern greek words for man and woman are and how they relate to like anthropology and gynecology (laughs) and like just being a nerd it's very fun
5: (laughs) yes yeah sometimes i do that to the doctors you know (laughs) (laughs) they think they know it all well i got something on you. (laughs) <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I'm also just, I, I'm excited to talk to a Greek person. I really love your, the language so much, and I, I don't have enough access to it. Um,
5: but I so, think you're brave in tackling uh, Greek. It's uh, such a complicated language. Sometimes, you know, I cannot analyze why the sentence needs to go that way. And it's not because of idioms it's just complex
4: (laughs) yeah it is I will say that I'm very good at like individual words and very simple sentences but as soon as someone speaks back to me that's when that's when all all my knowledge of Greek leaves my head it's not very helpful (laughs) but I'm hoping Uh to take a lesson when I'm next in Athens I'm gonna really try gonna get in (laughs) but so you know Is there anything that really stood out to you writing this as someone who is Greek and has this as your heritage and, you know, modern Greek being your language? Did anything stand out for you that you really wanted, you know, to to make that into the book or you felt really stood out because of your heritage?
5: You know, not to be grandiose, but what a better place than taking my heritage and offering it to readers here. You know, it's yeah. it's a privileged place, and I have a feeling for all these stories. Uh, I get into them. I mean, when when my uh, my son was growing up, this may sound strange, but we talked about the ancient Greek pantheon. You know, and he was praying to Zeus. Does that sound odd? No, Maybe a lot it does.
4: A lot but... of people still do that.
5: There's an oh, there's a... the pagan, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was not because of that. It's no. because we read myths, you know, bedtime and uh, made-up stories. And same thing with my grandsons. And in fact, they were a big part of my choosing to write about mm-hmm. mythology because they read, we talk, they tell me the latest, you know. And there's a lot of y a people that that uh, do author books for for that uh, for these age groups. So uh, it's all around me. How can I help it? <laughs>
4: yeah. well, like I said earlier, too, I think it's so great that that we are getting more actual Greek voices, you know, writing these retellings because, you know, it's all well and good how many are written by Americans and British people. and I hope there's a Canadian in there now and then, but we're we're kind of quiet up here. But, you know, the it's it's very often that these books are not written by people with Greek heritage. And I mean, there's a lot to be said about the way that modern Greece has often been separated from ancient Greece in the Western world. And it's something I like to draw attention to on the show because I think it's incredibly unfair and but it's very common. And so. It's an odd history, I'm sure, to have as your culture, because unlike most others, I would say, you know, Greek is it's become this thing that is seen as kind of, you know, the origin of all of, quote unquote, Western civilization. And it gets kind of taken away from the Greek people whose history it actually is, you know. It's,
5: yeah. 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 No, we do. This is my way of claiming it. Yeah. <laughs> this is my way of claiming
4: <laughs> it. <laughs> it's good. And I'm seeing more and more. I you know, I heard from you via your publicist and, and I was excited to talk to you. But then very shortly after I heard of at least another two, one's a novel and then one was a short story. And I'm going to try to maybe put their names um, into the podcast later because I don't remember them right now. But two more Greek people, Greek women who are mm-hmm. who are writing retellings. And again, in English, because I think I, I think, of course, there's a huge place probably in the, in modern Greek as well. But it's nice to have Greek voices. Amongst the English, because I think it's a good reminder to people reading in English that you know, like Greek people can write about this stuff too and should. Yes,
5: <laughs> yes, yes, and it's a pleasure in my author group, you know, when when we are sharing uh, pieces that we've written. You know, I get to tell them, "Oh, helix, helix. Do you know what that means?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> little insights peplers you know clothing women you know porpy or whatever yeah
4: (laughs) it's so fun to do that I, i i do that yeah as i said often earlier um but we i think a lot about my big fat greek wedding If if you watch that, and the grandfather who explains how everything is from Greek, and I realized how much I do that. And then I just embraced it recently of like, I'm not even Greek, but I'm going to tell you about how all of these (laughs) words, you know, come back to the Greek.
5: (laughs) Even kimono. (laughs)
4: Yes. (laughs) That was the one my friend referenced. I was like, yeah, no, no. Okay. That one's a joke. I get it. (laughs) Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, I, I, we don't want to give away spoilers, so I don't want you to, you know, have to dive in too deep about what the story is, but is there anything you want to share about the characters and kind of, you know, w- how you wanted to write them things that, that might appeal to my audience or that you just want to share?
5: Let's see. I want them to have both positive, powerful, good attributes but i also want them to have faults Mm. and if you look at the uh, subtitle of the book you know an an unexpected ally but then it's about love revenge and redemption Mm -hmm. so that points out what emotions i'm trying to presents and how people deal with those emotions Uh, you kind of can sort the first word love because there is seriously about to lose her love right Mm -hmm. so it's gonna deal with that you know the, the the aspect of loss the aspect of yearning for another relationship and that sort of thing and then you get the same sort of thing from the innocence the, the younger, you know, the skila, who is, you know, just going swimming and having boyfriends, maybe choosing, being charming, all of those things. And then course, he is uh, also a, a Greek character mm-hmm. and not a very well-known one. And he has a magical story of from fishermen becoming a god mm-hmm. and then you know he has to live in <laughs> because he's protected by poseidon he's a, a sea creature so you have the land and the sea and mm-hmm. the environment gets highlighted quite a bit in this you know the, the natural settings uh and there is other little myths, little stories that crop up. For example, the centaurs mm. show up, Dionysus, and you know his little uh, <laughs> host of characters and parties and all that. So uh, it's all Greek. <laughs> its elements that, that that get woven in there. I'm not sure what else to say without giving you more of the the plot, (laughs) you
4: know? (laughs) No, that's great. I I meant to ask ask about um, Glaucus earlier because he is a very interesting character, like you said, and and he does, yeah, he, you know, very similar to Scylla aside from her monstrous form. It's minimal you know details that we get on him but what we get is really interesting so uh-huh. yeah it's right. it's nice to be able to to expand upon that and also write a story where the sea is important because of course you know the sea in greece is incredibly important and very <laughs> relevant everywhere <laughs> so it right, fits yeah yes. yeah
6: at purdueglobal.edu.
5: Well, I'm
4: excited to hear that Dionysus is in it because I do love him very much. Um, I bet that was fun. Do you were there other gods or or you know, including him, that you found particularly fun to write about?
5: Well Sidon is in there mm. in both books. Uh, uh, gosh, I have Apollo mm-hmm. meddling a little bit, you know he would. Uh, <laughs> Sears' mother shows up because that's that's a way of elaborating mother-daughter stuff which will leave the reader interested in the next book Mm -hmm. because that is all her story, Percy's story. Uh, There is uh, a couple of just plain made-up humans, Melis. Melis is a character that is a servant of Circe's a very trusted servant so it's it's a positive you know relationship between the god and and the human mm-hmm. there is a, a fellow again made up who lives in Dallas and he's a fisherman and his name will give you a positive vibe because it's ariston oh <laughs> So even the names, you know, that I choose, like Melis, it reminds you of Melissa. It reminds you of Honey. Yeah. So it's that kind of persona. And I play with words like we all do when we write.
4: It's very so fun. Those are- yeah.
5: Those are some of the extras, you know, (laughs) that show up to support the main task.
4: Yeah. I just love hearing about all the gods, which is why I asked. I'm always interested in how I'm interested in how people write about the gods, you know, from this fictional perspective, because they're all so complex and open to interpretation. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have kind of running jokes on the podcast about, you know, who the the most dangerous gods are, you, you know, when it mostly when it comes to women, because that's usually why they're dangerous. um, But even still, you know, like, it, it's, it's so interesting to hear how other people see these gods, because they're, they're completely open to interpretation, you can see them in so many different ways. And I I come at it from, you know, my very specific perspective. And uh, I say that, because I, I like to point out that, In terms of of the actions within mythology, by and large, Poseidon is one of the most dangerous gods when it Mm -hmm. comes to being a woman.
5: (laughs) Yes, yes. Poseidon, a brother to Zeus. Zeus, you know, who is a sex maniac.
4: (laughs) Yes. I mean, he's the obvious one, but Poseidon, there's something about what he does. It seems even more dangerous than Zeus, but Uh Zeus certainly... Uh has (laughs) it's got a lot going on it's just so fun to talk about them
5: because yes yeah there's just so yeah (laughs) again in the second book you know there's scenes where gods are what debating what to do or what what's going on in the earth and There's Zeus and there's Poseidon that takes a different act, and there's a little battle going on between them and stuff. And it's exciting, it's juicy. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Well, since you mentioned the other book again, because I'm so fascinated. Um, that must be really interesting because you know, in order to write about Perseus, you have to write about a Titan, right? Like so beyond the gods, but also not quite as powerful because of the war and you know, did you? I don't even know what a question. I just am interested in in writing about titans. But like, what did you want to do with that?
5: You know, I I do have titans in the in the second book, and I don't. I'm not clean about not mixing the groups. Yeah. <laughs> but the the uh, the titans are the generation that is gone, mm-hmm. and zeus and company are the ones that are maybe a little more enlightened but there still things to do so i kind of classify them by the role i assign to them mm-hmm. uh, so for example yeah shows up uh, yeah. in the second book Sibele mm-hmm. shows up uh, it's such fun. We we have such a rich playground of gods and goddesses, you
4: know? Oh, exactly. And the Titans are so interesting in the mythology because it is often seemingly arbitrary what makes them Titans versus a typical god. You know, like the Olympians, it's nice and clear what makes them Olympians, but everyone else it's sort of random because, you know, every source had kind of a different idea in mind and there yeah. was no rules, of course. There's no one deciding that, you know, this is how things function in, in Greek mythology. There's just sort of a thousand years of people writing these stories. And so, right. yeah, you get people that are technically Titans, but there's nothing about them that seems different <laughs> from the yeah. gods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is It is such a playground though, like you said, you know, it there's just there's so much there and, and they are so interesting. And I'm sure you got to, if you're having, you know, the gods kind of bickering and arguing, the Iliad is such a great example of that happening. It would be fun exactly. to take what happens there and, you know, use that to inspire you for yourself. Like we yes. have all these different kind of little instances that you can use as inspiration to, you know, expand or write your own story with. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah they they have their preferences. They protect Hector, but hate whatever, you know,
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love Hector? He's great. <laughs> he
5: is isn't he isn't he? He's quite a lovely spirit, yeah
4: he is. I, I he's definitely I like to say he's the the best of the the men in the Greek or of in the, the match. yeah.
5: and Cassandra, she's mm. fascinating, you know such insights and then they ignore her. Yeah. Well,
4: and she's interesting too because there's there's like it, you get this idea about her and she's so famous, you know, for being this yes. prophet for all these reasons, but in terms of like actual sources, no one really like dives into her story. No one really gives us all the details that that we would want. And yet, you know, she remains this like really famous character.
5: Yes. Prime for writers. Yes. Yes, We can make that. (laughs)
4: Yeah. That's why I I, my favorite characters for that. And I've been writing a book forever. We'll see if it ever gets finished. But it was about Cadmus and Harmonia. Oh, they are great examples of that, where we have this tiny little bit of their story. And it's very Uh important but there are basically no details about it that survive.
5: <laughs> oh, I hope you get it. Done oh, thank you. <laughs> get it out. One How day. long have you been at it? Technically <laughs> since
4: 2009. Uh no, 2008. So it's I been see. a little while. 15 years yeah. I guess oh god that's been a long time uh yeah it's a very different form now than it was back then but now I I spend all my time writing my podcast so I have little time but one day one day I'll finish it. the podcast yeah, is a good please. thing to spend my time on <laughs> <laughs> now you said Sibele features in the next book and I would love to hear anything that you want to say about her because she's so interesting I just recently um did an episode on her Uh, for the show, because, you know, as this kind of uh, Trojan style goddess, she's so interesting because she moved into Greece and then later into Rome and everything. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't even know if that's not a question. I just heard a name I love if you want to talk about her.
5: Well, you know, I ran into her when I visited a in Turkey. Ooh, of course. And then I also ran into her when I visited the island of Heos, the Greek island, mm-hmm. where there is in the main town, there is an area that they call Homer's Rock. Mm. And it is a huge rock. And the story the guides tell you is he used to gather his students and used to teach them how to write epic. Oh. Right? That is Homer's rock, and right underneath it was Sibele. They had found evidence of Sibele and the uh, worship of her. So oh, that's where I ran into Sibele yeah. twice, and you know it sticks. It yeah. Sticks. Well, I, I mean, mean she, going yeah. going to to uh, to museums and looking at statues, you get ideas about how they played music, you know, how they worshipped, how they did magic in the temples to impress, you know, the 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 crowd and all of that. So physically living in that space offers a lot. I, I'm changing the subject. I'm so no all the time, but it is. It is. Going to the Acropolis Museum, you're going to find a lot of friends, you know.
4: absolutely no i I, please feel free to change the subject to things like that i'm more than happy like i that's fascinating i didn't know about that i haven't been to eos and i need to i mean i need to go to all the islands um (laughs) but yeah i i those moments are are so meaningful i think especially as individuals you know going to these museums and seeing the artifacts um for all i love the acropolis museum the national archaeological museum in athens is just like unbelievable and like life-changing yeah. you know yeah. and yeah. and even all the little archaeological museums in each city you know where you think like it's just I mean they're often like really low-budget museums but they're they've got some incredible stuff because there's just incredible yeah. stuff all over Greece and so yeah you know yeah. even the cheapest looking museum has the most incredible artifacts in it it's just amazing
5: that's right that's right and you have You know, I've had some of the better conversations just uh, picking up uh, a topic with the guides in there. They sit and watch and make sure everything is safe. They know so much, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, watching teachers take kids through the museums, you know, and tell them about what they are looking at. And I've learned I've had to make uh, changes in Circe because i saw a picture of what uh, a loom looks like Mm. in my mind i had the looms that we know today four posts you know and all of that oh no (laughs) they had them hanging with weights and that was the one direction and then they would weave through you know I had to go back and edit
4: that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's wonderful that you got that opportunity too. It's funny, I I don't think I ever imagined what the ancient looms looked like, but I've talked to enough archaeologists that I just know that a loom weight existed. <laughs>
5: yes.
4: But I'd never, you know, thought beyond knowing that that's a thing, you know, that they had. It's, like the artifacts you end up kind of coming across if you go to enough museums and but often the the context is left out like how that actually functioned so Mm -hmm. you know the way you learned that and then we're able to change the story so that it fit you know the more ancient functionality is just it's really interesting there's so many little bits and pieces like that
5: yeah yeah to get a sense of their everyday life I Mm -hmm. mean that It's such a gift, you know. It's such a gift. I love watching archaeologists explain how they piece things together, you know. Tell me what they eat, you know. I have to write about a symposium. What will they serve, you know?
4: (laughs) I mean, that's the best part about what my job with this podcast has become, because now over the last few years, I just talk to archaeologists and authors about their work like all the time and the things that i have learned from having you know some archaeologists come on to talk about the most random little details of the ancient world that they know about and it's just it's all yeah. it's all fascinating <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: yeah it's
5: really uh, cool
4: yeah. yeah well i mean this this is so much fun um i just want to you know i want to make sure that we've we've talked enough about about your characters, Cersei and Scylla and Glaucus too. So fascinating. Um, And then the book itself, but, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there anything else, any other topic that you wanted to talk about from anything? Like if you want to start talking about museums again too, I'm fine with that. I just thought I'd <laughs>
5: <laughs> Let's see. What do I want to talk about? I want to talk about this being a book with a message about the possibilities of connection. And how we can interpret and misinterpret intentions. Uh, So I just just think it has value to think about these models, you know, because that's what these characters are, these models of how they approach life, how they falter, misinterpret, Mm -hmm. and how they wake up oh, now I got it. It's about that kind of play. And it's definitely a feminist book. Good. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> a large part about why I wanted to have you on the show, because that was in the email. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, you know, what about it did you want to be feminist? Like, wh- where were you coming from in wanting to to have these kind of feminist elements in the book?
5: Well, w- we spoke about Homer and how he, you know, talks about women in a kind of, uh, okay, they are useful because Odysseus is traveling, you know. Uh, they are not filled out. They are not heroic. They are not big. Poor Hera, you know, she's always jealous and munching at Zeus, you know. That's not what women are. So that was a good motivation for picking a glorious creature and having her do good in the world. She's thought to be evil. Not in my book. Not in my book. (laughs) She's complex, but she is a do-gooder in the end. So that's how I come about it. Uh, You know, I'm not a feminist in the sense that guys are wrong, although they can be a little (laughs) bit or maybe more than a little bit in this book.
4: (laughs) No, I think, I mean, that's the perfect way to come at it, though. You know, I think a lot of the time, these days especially, books are, are sometimes marketed as though they're feminist just because they have a woman as the main character but I think you know there there's more to it than that and it includes giving these women agency and and looking at their stories beyond what existed in these you know these versions like you're saying like Homer where mm-hmm. the men wrote one thing and you know I think I think when it comes to studying and specifically not studying, I suppose, but but reading about Greek myths as like any old person, you know, walking into a bookstore and picking up a book more often than not, you're going to get one either, you know, ancient source or otherwise when it's written by a man. And, And really often these things are really biased, even when it comes to the ancient sources, you know, like. And and the ancient sources were biased, but I think a lot of people then, and a lot of people defend this and it's, you know, the entire point of my podcast. So it comes up very often, but, but people defend it as if, well, that's just the way things were back then. And it's like, no, that's just the sources we have, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, yeah. And so I think it's so important to have Cersei and, and take back this kind of character and give her an actual character and an actual personality and.
5: Yeah, and then you have, you know, uh, sources that talk about Aspasia, the mm. You know, I mean, they existed. They just don't get the microphone often enough. So that's what we can do. We modern writers is get them to speak, to voice who they could have been or were. Who knows?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's You've basically described why I run this podcast. <laughs> it's that's me all, all the time, um, and I think it is so important. And it's also just interesting, you know. Like it's yeah. important, but it's also just valid and 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 valuable information. And and it's yeah, it, it's just interesting in itself. I actually now that you mentioned Espacia, I I have I spoke with uh, with a, a scholar recently who's got a new book coming out on frene the uh the courtesan or you know hetera if you want to call her that uh who famously was supposed to have you know gotten naked in front of the athenian courts in order to you know get herself off of a, a charge and you know she probably oh. didn't actually get naked in front of the court but she did do some incredible things and and we have a lot of really fascinating sources about her but oh. often you know people she's either not talked about or she's only talked about because there's a story where she got naked and it's it's such a good example of the way women are. Even when we have sources about women, they're often still kind of, you know, made to be less important than the men or, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the way that Pericles is, is so famous and Aspasia, I think, is now becoming a bit more famous, but you know, it's a long time for her to go yeah. to reach Pericles level. <laughs> yes. Yes,
5: exactly. Exactly. Always secondary roles in support of guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Enough. Yeah.
4: yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's our turn. <laughs> like, you've had it long enough. <laughs> well, I love that. That's I mean, that's wonderful. And Cersei is, yeah, she's she's so complex. I think she like she comes across as evil in parts of the Odyssey, but then really not in others, too. You know, yeah. she is really sympathetic and really interesting. And and I I find that to be I find her to be one of the most interesting characters from Greek myth because she is a bit more complex than a lot of the women yeah. are presented.
5: Yeah, she was generous with uh, Odysseus. She helped him, you know, talked about Tiresias and that you have to go get more advice before you try to go back home. She didn't have to do that. So that, that was an element of grace.
4: Oh, yeah. And I mean, she warned him. The only reason that Odysseus got anywhere is because of all the warnings she gave, right? The warnings about Scylla and Charybdis and, Uh and, and the, did did
0: she warn him about
4: the winds too? Like, I feel like she gave him so many warnings and he screwed up most of them, but she tried Uh really hard to help him. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I just, it's, it's wonderful. Well, I'm utterly thrilled that there is this novel coming out. Um, an unexpected ally. So thank you so much for talking to me about it. It's been so much fun and I love hearing all of this. (laughs)
5: Liv, it is amazing. It's like just rattling off and connecting with another fanatic mythology (laughs) person. I have enjoyed it thoroughly.
4: Oh, I'm so glad. It's really like I do this every few days because I have so many guests on and it's always this much fun because we're all big. We just love it. And it's so interesting and it's just my favorite thing. So thank you.
5: (laughs) Well, thank you. I really appreciate the time you've given me.
4: Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so thankful. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. I am just, I'm so thrilled to have these episodes. I'm so thrilled to have conversations generally, but particularly that I recorded a bunch before catching COVID. That has been an absolute savior. On Tuesday, I will be back with I don't even know what yet because all my scheduling went out the window, but I'm going to write a script and it's going to be great. And I'm pretty sure I'll be able to record it, which is all that matters. But for now, I really hope you enjoyed this. We had such a lovely chat. Um, I do. I love having authors on about their to talk about their books. I am trying to make sure that I that I really intersperse those with with also just scholars talking about. All the different topics from the ancient world that that fascinate all of us so much. I've had a lot of authors recently because this is the season when all the books come out. Uh, but I am getting back to some of those roots of scholars and academics and archaeologists talking about the nerdiest stuff in the world. So stay tuned. We have so much more to come. You're all absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for listening. As always, Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians, my assistant producer. Laura Smith, coincidence, I know, is now working with me on the podcast, doing some audio editing. Oh my God, can you believe it? Someone who knows how to edit audio. And also... Working to bring the website into being something that is helpful and functioning could not be more happy to have Laura working with us. Uh, the podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For the first time ever, I am doing these credits from memory, and it's going really well. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. And patrons, if you are listening to this, you will have the bonus episode soon, COVID really took me out of everything. I am Live and oh my god, I love this shit so much, I cannot wait to work on the next episode and be back in working and mythologically nerdy functionality. If that makes any sense. I am live and I love this shit. <laughs>
1: Head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent
2: pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
6: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect.